The lights were low in the underground bar, the smoky air heavy with anticipation and hushed whispers. We were expecting a drag show, but it was East London after all, so who knew what was coming? Suddenly, with a click of stilettos, a flash of glitter, feathers, and the raunchy start of a burlesque song, glowing and sensual dancer lit up the stage. Amongst the encouraging clapping and whooping of the crowd, I was shocked to notice that the drag queen on the stage had Down syndrome. They are a member of Drag Syndrome, the first drag collective made up exclusively of people with Down syndrome. After that night, I befriended Daniel Weiss, founder and creative director of Drag Syndrome, and started attending their events regularly. Later, Daniel invited me to host a panel at Somerset House's This Bright Land Festival, sponsored by MAC Cosmetics, where I had the privilege of interviewing Drag Syndrome on stage to a live audience. Here's a snapshot of what they said. Yeah, yeah, I'm so happy and honored to be with my friends. I'm doing this for me. I'm not doing this to, to, to make a big spectacle. You know, we are here to perform for you guys and we have the best of our lives and we're here to perform for you guys because but we're also not just legends, we're also our supreme beings, of our, own, our international icons of each character. What we do is pretty high-end. My name is Rosario Lebrijaras Betayev, and this is Sublime Art, a podcast that brings you artists from all mediums whose work calls on the sublime. In celebration of Pride Month, today we have the pleasure of speaking directly to Daniel Weiss, founder and creative director of Drag Syndrome, Culture Device, and the Radical Beauty Project, an avant-garde art and high fashion project bringing globally renowned photographers together with models with Down Syndrome. In 2019, Daniel directed a powerful reinterpretation of Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring with a group of dancers with Down Syndrome at the Royal Opera House. He has directed and choreographed Drag Syndrome shows all over the world, including RuPaul DragCon and the Tate Modern. With a smile and quite a bit of charming sass, he's made space for those who have rarely been granted a voice. So I'm sitting here with Daniel Weiss, who is the founder of Culture Device, the Radical Beauty Project, and Drag Syndrome. And he's done an incredible job in showing the world what every human being is capable of doing and what true beauty really is. So Daniel, thank you so much for welcoming us in this beautiful living room. Yeah, Drag Syndrome hates quarters. <laughs> exactly. And there's a really stunning photograph behind us. Can you describe this photograph and tell us about this piece of art? Yes, this is a photograph for Dissection magazine. Uh, this is Lady Francesca, one of the artists from Drag Syndrome. Um, it went to the cover of Dissection magazine, which I have here, actually. Show us. So this is a photograph of Lady Francesca from Drag Syndrome, photographed by Cameron McNee for Dissection magazine. We were in the cover of one of the, the latest... Uh, it's quite big, it's quite amazing, and it was sold out in two days, which is brilliant. It was uh, an amazing photo shoot where uh, the photographer was adamant to use high fashion, extreme high fashion garments, which was very, very exciting. Uh, we used uh, things from uh, Dior and 
many high brands and he wanted really wanted them to wear high fashion and yeah it's, it's quite magnificent i love it no it's striking the yellows with the green and it's just it's just a captivating photo which i think most of the photographs if not all of the photographs of the radical beauty project are and it's interesting it's it's being featured in the dissect magazine because in a way you're dissecting society can you tell us how this project began how you started to get involved with people with down syndrome so i was in um choreography residency in ireland uh, did my thing there was a day center not far from the studio and one day i went there introduced myself had a chat with the residents there they have different disabilities I was talking about what I do, about choreography, about dance, and they were really listening. They were just really interested. So I told them, you have to experience dance. So I invited them to my studio the week after. They arrived, about 15 uh, people with different learning disabilities. Um, I told them, I'm going to give you a class, dance class. We'll dance and then we'll sit and talk. So this is what happened and then while they were dancing, my jaw literally dropped. I saw incredible dancers that dance from a, a new place. Um, I invited them the week after, and then we set up a dance company, the first in Ireland, start touring Europe before Ireland. And this is how I found myself working with this magnificent artist. You said that the dancing came from a different place. What is this place that's so special? Because I've seen it because I've gone to your shows, but it's, it's difficult to pin down what it is. They dance from the soul and the heart without any barriers. It's pure movement. It's very raw. And a lot of them don't have the capacity to overjudge themselves. So that's why the dance is very raw, very pure. Movement-wise, is very exciting because the dancer dance from very deep place without thinking about themselves as a human being at that moment. They're just a vessel. They're just dancers. They don't have the. the also, the most of them didn't study dance and techniques in institutions, so they're much freer in the way they move. That's why it's very exciting for us to see. They're incredible artists. Um, I don't know, again, if it's to do with learning disabilities or just they are incredible artists. That's the big question. Mm. And I think this translates quite well as well into the, the photographs of... Because first you did the dancing company and then I guess it was Radical Beauty Project, which is this incredible collective, the first world's collective of high fashion photographers... Uh, photographing models exclusively with Down syndrome. And, and the way they model, I think, is probably similar to the way they dance, right? It has this je ne sais quoi quality to it. Yes, absolutely. So Radical Beauty Project came after three years after I set up the dance company. It came as a vision. And it was a bit strange to know that nobody did that before. Mm. It's like, how come? So again, this is a question that I, I'm asking myself why society is a bit behind or don't see things or what they see, they're quite judgmental. So 
uh, we start working on this project and then we saw that the models bring out this incredible, incredible beauty and sass and, and, and energy without experience. Most of the models didn't have experience in front of the camera before. And after five minutes, they're just like Kate Most, who quite amazing. Uh, uh, people with Down syndrome, a lot of them are good communicators. They like to communicate with people, they like to shine, they see camera, they know how to work it. Yeah, tell me about it. I interviewed them on stage a couple months ago and it was hard to actually take the microphone back. It was a, it was a struggle to a live audience to do that. Yes, first of all, they have the, a lot to say. And for many years, they didn't have the opportunity to express themselves and to be who they are and to give interviews and, and, and bring the, their philosophy out. So suddenly it's like you have a lot to say. So mm. why not work it? Yeah, milk it. Why not? And so many people have that impression that they don't have a lot to say. And I, it's wonderful to hear what they have to say because it's, it's truly insightful, you know? I think we have this stigma in society that people with disabilities and especially people with Down syndrome are not intellectually as capable as other people. And I mean, since I've met you, I have been able to have incredible conversations with all sorts of uh, people in society. Can you explain how you've seen or, or whether you've seen society change their attitudes? Because I guess before people would, or what, what I've read in history, people would actually um, lock their children up, lock these people up and never let them leave the house. Yes, this is what happened when you think disability or, or somebody with learning disability is less human being than if you wouldn't have learning disabilities. That's the starting point, which is, of course, wrong. And when I say wrong, is we're missing out incredible people with incredible insights. Many years ago, there was guilt and shame attached to uh, people with Down syndrome. Uh, society rejected them, um, uh, even if a, a mother gave birth in hospital, the first thing that they hear is, I'm sorry. No congratulations, no it's a boy, mm. no it's a girl, no how you feel, I'm sorry. And then a list of what they can't do mm. while the mother is still in physical pain. It's so funny you bring up that story. Um I'm going to tell a very personal story to me. When I was born, and I'm by no means comparing my experience to them, but I was born with three fingers in my right hand. And the only time that I've seen my father cry, one time we were driving and I asked him about when I was born. And he told me that, you know, it was a relatively nice birth <laughs> as far as births go. And my mother was sort of, you know, not necessarily passed out, but, you know, she was not really there when I came out. And everybody was, you know, obviously at that point, every, all the nurses, the doctors, everybody was clapping. Everybody was, you know, happy that the baby was born. And then as soon as the doctor grabbed me, he went quiet. And then everybody went quiet. And then my dad obviously thought I was dead. You know, he thought something was truly, truly wrong. And then 
he followed the nurse. The doctor didn't even say anything. Imagine. He just sort of left. Like that negative energy you're describing, he, he exactly said that. And then he followed the nurse and he asked, you know, what's wrong with her? What's happening? He didn't want to alert my mother. And the nurse just said, oh, yeah, she's a, I'm so sorry. She's missing two fingers. And my father started laughing and smiling and he was so happy. And he, he started crying when he told me this. And, and he told me, this is a moment that just changed my life because I was so happy that like you, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. And I think after he told me that story, I realized that the way that I am and the, the confidence that I have and the way I see my life and the way I see the, the three fingers as a blessing, you know, as a way to make me see life in a different way. And, you know, I love having three fingers. It comes from that moment, from literally my birth, my first gasp into this earth. Yeah, this is where society, that's why eugenics exists. And society, see if it's not perfect, which is what perfect, then everybody freaks out. Mm. Three fingers. She's gorgeous. Congratulations. Oh, <laughs> She's amazing. Yeah. How are you feeling? And again, I don't think society, especially at the moment, they don't look at the person, at the inside of the person. Mm. We are in society that the outside is more important. But like you said, it didn't stop you. Like the artists that I work with, it didn't stop them. Maybe we miss out the, 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 the next genius that will solve something in the world. People with Down syndrome uh, uh, have open heart all the time. That means they see things very clearly and very in a, in a kind way. You know, if you go on, on um, public transport, you'll see people reading self-help books, how to be a better person, how to be a, a great human being. Just spend some time with people with Down syndrome. You don't need to read the book. You, they will teach you that. It's quite amazing how most people with Down syndrome are so... They have spark. They see things in a, such an open way that I'm always blown away. Mm. Why there are no people with Down syndrome advising the government, for example? That's a mystery to me. They view things in such a deep and open and loving way that they can have solutions for us if we allow it. Well, and that's why you've been such a trailblazer, because you have taken them seriously and you've created this incredible platform for them to not only express themselves, but also I think it's important to note that you, when you speak about all of these projects that you have, you don't say... You know, it's it's a collective of um, artists with drags with Down syndrome, or you know, it's a collective for disabled people. In a way, the the fact that you differentiate, you know, you don't want to differentiate them from like the top art projects or the top fashion photographers, and you call them artists. You mm -hmm. know, you call them models. You call them what they are, but which a lot of people don't. I think your use of language and and the fact that you take it to another level, you know, the, the taking it seriously, really makes a difference. It's because I see them for who they are. I work with master artists. I'm really interested to work with amazing creatives. Same here. They just have Down syndrome. 
but they are master artists. What they do is extraordinary, and that's why we are successful. We wouldn't be successful if it would be just a group of people with Down syndrome doing shows. We're successful because they are stage monsters. When they go on stage, they work, they entertain, they came to do something. And the platform that I created gives them the platform to show who they are and for the audience to see who they are as artists, not as people with Down syndrome. And this is the difference here. And then everybody's so surprised. Oh, they're so amazing and they're so this and they're intelligent. Yeah, they were there. They were like that before they met me. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So imagine how many incredible talents we miss out. Mm. In, imagine if society will look at the person from who they are rather than, oh, missing few fingers, all have extra chromosome, all have this and that, disregard. Yeah. Or is it as a plus? You know, I see it as a plus. It is what it is. Yeah. Everyone have a plus. You have a plus. I yeah. have a plus. Francis is a plus. We all have pluses. Their plus is super plus. <laughs> and we can only be envy. This extra chromosome brings something that is so incredible, unique. Uh, that's why it's an extra chromosome. That means the, the wisdom that they have is a little bit up notch than mm. people without extra chromosome. Before we move on to drag syndrome, which has become a phenomenon on its own, uh, right? I want to just finish off on the on the Radical Beauty Project. It's, I mean, it is radical what you're doing, and I love the name. Um, which are some of the photographers you've worked with, and what have been, you know, your some of your favorite moments photographing them? Wow, the, <laughs> the hardest question. Favorite moments. It's every shoot, there is a, a, a magic moment, favorite moment. I think the beginning was very powerful. The first shoot was very powerful because this is what we did for the first time. We didn't know where we're going. Um, where was the first shoot? It was in London. Um, I'm trying to think about... Oh, there's so many. I think it's when... The, it, it, when we did a photo shoot in Berlin, there was a, a model that just finished a trial. Um, she sued her parents for noting, not letting her do what she wants and not letting her do things with her finances. So she took them to court and she won. Damn. Yeah, that's kind of, that's radical. Yeah. And when we start working and after five minutes, the, the photographer um, start giving her direction and then suddenly we all burst into tears. Suddenly this character arrived. She just said, I'm ready now. And these faces came and this incredible model arrived and we all were, were so excited and 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 it was a magical moment that somebody come in front of the camera behave a bit shy warm up and then in one minute i'm ready now oh. and then boom and how did you find her uh, through uh, another artist that i worked with in germany 
So to scout models, it's a world by itself. I never say no to anyone with Down syndrome. Um, uh, it's, it's scouting models. It's to go to somebody um, with Down syndrome on the street and talk to them without them thinking I'm a freak, <laughs> which happens. Um, word of mouth, uh, sometimes the photographers finding, the, the, the team finding. One of the photographs that I love the most, and I guess one of the photographers that you've worked with that I love the most, is Elisabetta Porovina, who's a Russian photographer. Um, and she's done work for Chanel for days. I mean, she's kind of exploded now. But how did you come across her and, and you know, who was the model that you used as well? So Elisaveta, I contacted her because I really, really like her work. Me too. <laughs> her photography, for me, it's a spiritual art. Every time I see her work, it transports me to, to different places, which is incredible. So I contacted her, we had a chat, and she was in New York. And there, um, uh, there's a model I work with from the States, Uh, Lily Moore and yeah they met in New York they did a shoot it's one of my favorite series of images I love all the images these are extraordinary Elisaveta is extraordinary Lily is incredible yeah so that was kind of one of the highlights because it's every photographer elevate the project from from their own point of view and talent. Mm. So every, every photographer bring a different angle to it. High fashion, uh, avant-garde, more um, art photography rather than fashion photography. So every photographer bring another piece to the, to the whole thing. Yeah, I love the colors in her photographs. They're slightly magical. That's what you're, the spiritual side that you're talking about. I, I almost mm. saw that it was kind of magical to see those photographs. Yeah, that's her work. Her work is that there is some kind of, it's a very ethereal, magical, spiritual. Yeah, that's why she's part of mm. Radical Beauty Project. Mm. There's one photograph in particular, Dr. Sarah Gordy, MBE, who we love. And she, it's a very pr provocative photo. And I think it's a photo that makes some people uncomfortable because she looks like she's having an orgasm. I'm not sure if she's having an orgasm in the photo, but it looks like she is. And it's a beautiful photo. It's black and white. And it makes you think about the way that sexuality has been linked with people to disability. And it's many times not been linked. You know, a lot of times people with disabilities have been asexualized without their consent. So that leads me quite smoothly into drag syndrome, where you are, you know, throwing their sexuality into people's faces. Tell us about this. Well, they're throwing themselves on other people. <laughs> so you have an opportunity to be who you are and to be sassy and to be sexual and to be uh, provocative as well and, and to be great entertainer. And people forget that they are part of the conversation. They are human beings. And some of them have sex. They have sexual life. They're married. And they are excluded in this conversation. Mm. And some people find it revolting that somebody with Down syndrome will be connected to their sexuality. 
people slash them, they don't even think that it's a human being with complete spirit. We're used to it now. That's why drug syndrome is very important. They can do what they want on stage. They can express who they are and they can live their fantasy and their best life on the stage. And then people see they're incredible artists, incredible entertainers. People forget that drug is art. It's theatre, it's a form of art. So it's not that uh, we push people with Down syndrome on stage and force them to be sexual. It's nothing like that. The artists do what they want on stage and they do a really good job. No, definitely. I mean, I was, I was completely taken aback the first time I saw a show you invited me to because, as you say, it's not something you, you think about that often, um, the sexuality of people with Down syndrome. And this is really, really incredible, the work there. Are some of the artists bi or trans or is it more like performance to them? It's mixed. I can't speak on their behalf, but we have different different people in the group. Uh, but yeah, some people with Down syndrome are gay, bi, lesbians, trans. There is a guy on TikTok with Down syndrome that came out as trans. So it's the first trans person with Down syndrome that I know, uh, advocating for themselves. Um, they are human beings like everyone, but just because you have Down syndrome doesn't make you only straight. And there's been some really aggressive negative feedback. I mean, I remember something in the United States when you were meant to do a tour there. What was the reaction there? So a week before we arrived to the States, the person that owned the venue decided to cancel it, which is okay. We find another venue sold out. We had another show sold out. We had protesters outside the theater. This is what's happening now in drug hour and drug shows. There's a lot of really crazy Nazis around trying to stop it. Um, and that was a bit strange because when somebody come and protest and never met the artist and never spoke to them, just assume they can come with a placard saying, oh, this is exploitation, they're not allowed to do it without acknowledging that as a human being and the artists were there and they didn't want to speak to them. So again, as we did, we just like flipped the hair and did our thing. We, we didn't really interact with the protesters. Um, we invited them to the show, come and see. And then if you have opinions, fine, speak to the artists. But mm. there's nothing you can do about it. So they can make noise, no problem. Um, it just one of the artists asked me, but why they try to stop me doing my art? That's a tough question. How did you answer? It was really, really tough to answer. Uh, uh, um, I tried to explain that some people, again, they have a hole in their heart and anger and frustration and they need to fill it up so they need to hurt other people in order to feel something. And we performed that evening and there was, uh, we were on the front page of the New York Times Art and Culture section and in the middle of the show somebody brought the New York Times, the, the copy, and the artist, after a number, asked me to read it to him. And I started reading and I couldn't, I couldn't stop crying. Because you tell a human being that they are a broken soul and they don't have the right to be human being and express themselves or to be an artist. It's quite tough. 
Another one said, I'm used to it. All my life, people told me what to think, who I am, what I'm not. So they're used to it. They flick the hand, move on. Mm. Some getting hurt. So it's again, this is where this project is so extraordinary because audience meet the artists. If it's not in your face, it's at your face. So there is a contact. So then you can judge. You come to our shows, if it's drug, if it's dance or theater, you actually see them as artists working on stage. And then you can make decisions. Mm. It can be boring if you like, it can be extraordinary, but you must go and meet them to form an opinion. And this is where I think a lot of people with learning disabilities growing up in the world, that the world reject them or don't see them as a whole human being. They see them as a broken soul or somebody that don't understand that they have no ability and they have a lot of abilities and sometimes more than all of us together. But you're right. I think having that contact does change people's minds. I mean, you've had some negative reactions, a lot of negative reactions, but you've also had a lot of great feedback. I mean, you have millions of followers on TikTok and Instagram and all the socials. Um, you've been on, you just mentioned the New York Times, but you know, you've also been in Vogue. You've been, um, actually the most recent one is RuPaul's Drag Race, which is amazing. I mean, how does it feel to finally, after all these years of work, be recognized for the, the jewel that this project is? We're doing it for ourselves. I said to the artists, we will make it big, but we don't do art to make it big. We do art to make amazing art and express ourselves. People don't come to us and write amazing articles because they need to fill up space. It's because they are incredible artists and because this media came to the show and experienced the shows, then they can write something. So now that they have this success, they... They worked really hard for it, artistically and in society and in schools, etc. They earned this success. They earned from they earned this success going on from stage to stage, from photo to shoot to photo shoot, from interview to interview. They worked for it, and that's why I'm very happy when we are in the success, we earned the success. It's not that the media decided to crown us and made us a big deal. Mm. These artists made it to the top of the art world with their amazing talent. And I mean, they made it, but you talk about work. You worked a lot as well. You are relentless in your belief in the success of this project. You know, you don't give yourself enough credit sometimes by all the incredible things you've done and all you've sacrificed to get here you had a vision and it's in, it's really incredible what you've done i remember the the royal opera house um project you know you had that vision as well tell us about that vision itself because that's a i mean it's beyond me what you did there oh that's an incredible project we had the residency with the royal opera house and uh, we did the right of spring which is in Incredible, incredible, powerful ballet and La Prémédie d'Enfants. Um, and for me, it's just so normal to see people with learning disabilities, artists with learning disability in high art because they're incredible artists. Now, to work with the Royal Opera House was incredible. It's 
validated a lot of the dancers that the Royal Opera House accept them. And um, with the attitude that the Royal Opera House is blessed to have us. So there's two different schools of thoughts. It's like master artists, top performers. And with my work, it's really hard because when I, if I work with an artist without disabilities, it will be much easier. My life will be much easier. I will have more money. It will be fun. But because the artists I work with, again, society still not accepting them, I have to work double. Mm. And to put them in the top of art and culture was a real struggle. <laughs> a real struggle. But when you know what you have is incredible, and I have total faith, I knew we were going to get there. So in the end of the day, you work really hard and you push and you cry and, oh, I feel sorry for myself. But then in the end of the day, I know that it will happen. It's just with a little bit more work. That's why I hope society will learn from us to give any person, any creative person, a platform. The next genius can be there. The next top supermodel or, or, or the greatest writer, or, or whatever. Because the Rite of Spring is a complicated ballet. Uh, so I guess you had to really convince people, like, of course they're capable of doing this. But in the end, you had a, a standing ovation, did you not? Yes, we did. In the beginning, when I came to the Royal Opera House with the idea to do the Rite of Spring, they were, more <laughs> And I knew the dancers were going to nail it. Because the essence of the ballet is about sacrificing someone sa sacrificing something for the greatest good. So when you go, when you are a pioneer, when you have a vision and you do it, but you don't think about the outside world if they will accept it or not. Same here. Well, thank you so much for all the work you're doing. I think it's you know I, you know I'm a big fan of yours, and I think it's only going to get bigger and better for everybody here. Thank you. It's a, it's, it's a real privilege and an honor to work with extraordinary artists. I don't know, maybe they give me more than I give them. I know it's equal, but just to work with them, to work with these master artists that everything that we do, they nail. It's a privilege as a creative director. It's a privilege to work with artists that before a show I know I can just chill out. It will be amazing. Not every choreographer, artistic director can be like that, and I'm one of the lucky ones. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. You can also follow us on Instagram at Sublime Art Podcast. Don't miss our next episode where we explore the sublime with another artist.